My name is Jasmine Sue, and you're listening to JTT. In today's episode, I interview Charles Harlan. Charles was born in 1984 in Atlanta, Georgia, and currently lives and works in Wilmington, North Carolina. Charles's practice consists of combining architectural materials such as I-beams, bricks, concrete conduit, stone, and corrugated metals into relatively minimal configurations. In a larger sense, Charles is interested in creating an experience of transcendence with materials that traditionally hold a more utilitarian function in society. Today, I asked Charles about his most recent show at JTT titled Celtic Cross, which is based off of the Celtic Cross spread used in tarot card reading. We talk about the leap Charles makes from construction materials to the tarot, as well as the common ground that viewing art and reading the tarot share. Thanks for listening. Today I'm here with Charles Harlan. Hi, Charles. Thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. (laughs) Charles, where are you right now? I'm at my home in Wilmington, North Carolina. Before we start, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your show today at uh, that's currently on view at JTT, titled Celtic Cross, which is on view until April 24th. But before we start talking about that, I want to describe for our listeners a solo show that you had at the Atlanta Contemporary in 2018 titled The Language of the Birds. In this show, you had a large work. Actually, all of the works in this show were titled Bird Bath. But there's one particular piece titled Birdbath that was a large fiberglass baptistry. It was baby blue, and it's the type of baptistry that gets inset into the ground at the altar of churches in the south. And the way it's designed is there's stairs that descend down into a pool of water, and then the person who's being baptized walks down those stairs, plunges underneath the water, and then there's a set of stairs that where the person who's being baptized can exit the pool of water. You took this baptistry and you know, set it on top of the ground, on top of concrete ground, so you are sort of showing what would normally be an architecture that is sort of under the ground. And you had it standing upright on the set of stairs so that it was kind of off-kilter, weighed down by a stone birdbath, a stone actual birdbath from a yard. Can you, for our listeners, just tell us the significance of that that baptistry piece? Well, it, it was the kind of baptistry that was in the church that I grew up going to, and I was baptized in a baptistry like that in, when I was like, I don't know, 12 or something. And basically each piece in that show had was like built around this sort of like structural form of uh, like sort of a, baptis, a, a baptismal font. Um, so like a sort of vessel, uh, for water and then behind it, like a rear dose, which in like a, a church is like sort of what you would see behind the, the priest, like usually they're decorative and quite beautiful anyway. So that was kind of the structure for each piece. And in this case, it was the, the bird bath was standing in for the, the baptismal font and the rear dose behind it. The sort of like background was the the baptistry, and so yeah, it sort of had that biographical connection to my past. But what I liked about that piece and the bird bath itself was, you know, just sort of how I think I just find it kind of funny that baptismal fonts look like bird baths. First of all, 
but using the weight of that stone to upend the narrative of the baptistry. So, you know, someone, the sinner descends into the water and meets the priest or the preacher who cleanses them, and then they ascend back up the other side. And that's sort of a nice, neat little narrative. And so I like the idea of this, like, object that's used for birds, you know, for nature, the weight of it holding down um, the, the, that, like, basically shifting that narrative, that very neat, clear, linear narrative of descent, cleansing, and ascent. I, 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 I thought that was a nice reconfiguring of that narrative. So describe, to, to describe the other works in that show, for example, that, again, all of them are titled Birdbath, and there's another work that has bales of pine straw stacked in a corner-like structure. Yeah, yeah. And in, inserted into the um, bales of pine is an aquarium, a fish aquarium. Mm-hmm. And I'm imagining that this... Right, so that was that was sort of the rear dose, the backdrop uh, structure for that piece. And in front of that was a bird bath that I had constructed out of baling or er, uh, out of fence wire, a roll of fence wire and a wheelbarrow that, that was meant to be the bird bath. Right, so that's kind of a two-part piece that has two structures to it. And then there was also another work that had an actual bird bath standing on a wooden plinth with glass bricks, again in a corner-like structure. So there was a lot of these corner sort of architectural structures in the show. Right, and the steps, they were sort of stepped in each piece to sort of mimic the steps of the baptistry. Right, exactly. I wanna I wanted that show to be in our viewers' mind a little bit when you're describing for us the works in the Celtic Cross show, which is up right now at the gallery. Would you mind describing for our listeners the layout of this show and the works in it? The show's sort of based on um, a Celtic Cross tarot spread, which is like sort of the standard sort of first spread you learn when you're learning about the tarot. For this show, I did a reading, a tarot reading for the show. I made like a scale model of the gallery. And funnily enough, the gallery architecturally is sort of in the shape of a Celtic cross reading in that to one side, you have a sort of smaller square room. Um, and then on the other side, you have a longer rectangular room. So you sort of have the, the two elements of the Celtic cross reading, which is the cross and the staff on the other side. And so I did the reading, and each card in the reading was meant to represent a sculpture in the show, or I guess more accurately, each sculpture in the show was meant to represent a card in the reading. So I know that the, the deck that you used for this reading was the what's known as the Rider Weight deck. Can you explain why you chose that deck as a starting point for this show? There's several reasons. I mean, for one, I, I really like the artwork of that deck by this incredible artist, Pamela Colnellan Smith, did the prints for each card, and they're incredible. So it's a very beautiful deck. You know, I've always had an interest, like a longstanding interest in Western occultism, and I had all these uh, A.E. Weight books on my shelf about various different topics because he's a sort of prolific writer, you know, on topics of Western occultism. So when I decided I wanted to use the tarot as like sort of a source reference for the show, you know, I looked on my shelf and thought, oh, I already have all these books by the, you know, the creator of the Rider-Waite deck. 
So it seemed like a good fit. And I, I really like AE weight and the milieu that like that these cards emerge from because they were used as like sort of ceremonial cards for the Golden Dawn uh, sort of secret society that he was a big part of with... Can you explain the Golden Golden Dawn? Yeah, it's, it's uh, sort of a kind of a goofy secret society in the around the turn of the century. Aleister Crowley famously was a member. Pamela Coleman Smith, who did the art for the cards, was also a member. You're like sort of typical initiatory secret society where people got together sort of in the tradition of the Masons or something like that. And you rose up in the ranks. I think it was founded by McGregor Mathers, who Waite was kind of a student of. And uh, McGregor Mathers also was, had an interest in the tarot cards. So it's just kind of this funny secret society, and I've always been interested in it. And also the Rider Weight deck is sort of the first deck that people start with when they're learning the tarot, which I was just starting beginning to learn the tarot when I decided to use it as a source material for the show. The reason for that is because artist Pamela Coleman-Smith illustrated, it's, I, I'm not sure if it's the first deck, but it's one of the first decks where... Each card, including the pip cards, the minor cards, the suit cards, were illustrated with sort of symbolic references. So when people are learning the tarot, it's a popular deck because visually each card gives a, a reminder of what sort of the significance of each card uh, visually. So whereas like older decks, like the, the Marseille deck, for example, the number cards are not illustrated. They just have, like, say, a, the Five of Pentacles. The card is literally Five Pentacles. You know, it's it's probably the most popular deck, and I just find it really beautiful. And I like the people who created it, so it just was the natural fit for the show. Right. Now, you and I have known each other for a very long time, and I've always known, I mean, since perhaps in our early 20s, you've been interested in the occult and have been reading a lot about it. But I've only recently been really invested in the tarot. And I'm just curious, what brought you to the tarot specifically and why you, why you chose that to incorporate into your work? Well, like you said, you know, since all through college and growing up, I've always had an interest in the occult and reading about all these weirdos from back in the day and their obscure writings. And so I was always, you know, sort of vaguely aware of the tarot. I had a friend who gave me a tarot reading, I don't know, a decade ago. Always vaguely aware, you know, had looked at the cards. It's, it's, it's like something that's always kind of in the background of our culture. Like everybody's kind of vaguely aware of it to some extent. But specifically, I, I didn't really re- hadn't really read much into it until I decided I wanted to use it for like to sort of generate this show. And the reason I, I decided that is because what I did know about the cards was that each card has like a sort of symbolic significance. And the way that they, that you read those cards is by laying them out in different formations. The cards draw meaning and significance by their relationships to each other and their position. So not only does each card have a significance, but the order and the position of each card in context with the other cards creates even, you know, further significance. I was always vaguely aware that that was sort of the structure of the tarot. And I was drawn to that because uh, the way I make my work, 
the way I've always made sculpture is like sort of each raw material, you know, I often work with like raw materials or construction materials or whatever. Each material in my mind is sort of invested with a significance or like sort of symbolic meaning that I've sort of, you know, like kind of <laughs> confusingly created in my own sort of like bespoke symbology, you know, as an artist. Um, that's what we do. The way that I would create sculptures would be to take those materials, stack them, arrange them, and sort of the same way with the tarot, the, the stacking, the arrangement, the position of these sort of symbolic raw materials on top of each other, around each other, was what, what sort of created the significance for the sculpture, what turned it, it from raw materials into art. And so it just seemed like a really natural, it, it's the way I already thought about my sculpture and it seemed like a natural sort of thing to read into then sort of covid happened and i was stuck inside for like a year and so i started reading about the tarot and because i mean i think if you want to be a casual reader it's easy to pick it up and sort of you know kind of go with it but i i wanted to read in, into each card so that i was confident before i approach making an art show about it it was it was nice to have all of that time during covid to read in to just do the research for the show. So I want to talk about a couple of the sculptures in the show, but before I do, I think that the Celtic Cross has this really beautiful progression. So it's 10 cards in the reading, and each card has a sort of progression in the reading. So it starts, for example, with this covers, and it goes on to this crosses, and those two cards are put on top of one another. And then the third card is this crowns, and then it goes on to this is beneath, this is behind, this is before, this is within, this is around, hopes and fears, and then finally what will come. So each of these you know, placements in the, the Celtic Cross, of course, has a tarot card associated with it, but it also has for your show a sculpture. So the sculpture is not only one-to-one -one with a tarot card, but it's also one-to-one -one in its placement in the reading. So I wanted to start first with the one that is titled, that you titled below, or would be essentially in the, the fourth position of the, the Celtic cross. And this one's a really beautiful piece. Can you remind me the, the card that this one stands for? Below The card in the position of below is strength. Correct. And can you describe that card to our listeners, what strength is? Strength is a card that features a sort of almost angelic-looking woman in a white gown, and she has the limniscot, the infinity symbol, over her head which is meant to sort of represent her strength, her mastery. And she has her hands on the mouth of a lion. Some people say she's closing the mouth of the lion. Some people say she's holding the, the mouth of the lion open. But in any case, she is sort of the master of the lion. She's meant, it's meant to represent sort of a control over the animal instincts uh, through this sort of development or esoteric knowledge above her head represented by this infinity symbol right and in the actual sculpture you um recreated the infinity symbol with chicken wire but basically uh, steel into yeah it's hardware cloth hardware cloth and then each of those loops is filled with a type of stone right one is more blue and one is more red and they're standing on a brass shape and that shape is in the shape of the symbol for the for leo 
Yeah, this, so the pedestal that each piece is on, or that the stone is on, is sort of meant to represent the lion in this piece. And it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of an abstracted uh, form for the symbol of Leo, the sign Leo. So in, in this podcast, we are talking about this piece and we're sort of revealing to our listeners that that is the strength card, but we don't actually talk about that in the press release. We don't do a one-to-one for every sculpture and every de- a card that it represents. And I feel like that was a really important choice for you. I feel like you wanted to make sure that the sculptures, people could approach them as sculptures. Do you feel, do you agree with me on that? Yeah, well, and also, you know, I just think it's it's sort of cheesy or silly to go through piece by piece and be like, you know, this sculpture means this, this sculpture means this. I, I don't really necessarily think that's interesting at all. It's it, For me, it was like, it was sort of the inspiration. It's what, it was the impetus to create the sculpture. And, you know, any artist needs some inspiration yeah, specifically what each card means, or sorry, what each sculpture means, what card it is, is less interesting to me than sort of just the idea that, more the idea of the relationship of the reading. So the arrangement of the cards, the arrangement of the sculptures, and the meaning of each sculpture in the context of the other sculptures in the room, sort of echoing that same relationship with a tarot reading. Another sculpture I want to talk about was the one-tailed cover cross. So this would be two tarot cards that are stacked on top of each other in the center of the Celtic cross. And what were the two cards that that this sculpture represents? So those were the, the cover card was the two of cups and the cross card was the seven of wands. So for this sculpture, you used, you actually incorporated marble countertops, which is what you've done in, in earlier works. Usually you've taken marble countertops from sort of domestic marble countertops and then put them onto the wall. So kind of inverted their orientation or, or, or altered their orientation. And now you've kind of for the first time brought the countertop back into its proper orientation. It's parallel to the ground and descending down are these two circular cylinders, essentially. And one is white and one is black. Is there an important symbolism in those for you? Well, so the card itself is um, the two of cups is a man and a woman holding two cups and sort of cheersing each other in celebration. I, you know, we kind of talked about this with Marie when we were talking through the show, sort of putting the show together. I, I don't necessarily want it to be like sort of like the black cylinder is like sort of the masculine figure. The white cylinder is the feminine figure. But there is this sort of, in the, in the symbolism with the tarot, there's this idea of balance and opposing forces. I guess what the two of cup represents what the card represents are these two sort of opposing forces, but a nice balance between the two. And so that's why we have the white basin and the black basin. They are balancing on top of them, the countertop in sort of perfect harmony. And then where the faucet would normally go stands seven different types of tools, lawn tools essentially that have long dowels, all types of tools that have dowels. And these Sort of st- right, they're like garden tools. Right. And yeah. they stand in for the wands of the Seven of Wands? Right, yeah. So where you would sort of install the um, your faucet in the, in, the, in the sink, the vanity top, you would have three holes usually. Um, this, in this case, on one side you have three holes and on the other side you have four. And inserted through those holes are uh, 
seven garden tools with wooden handles. And then they're supported at the bottom with the backsplash for the vanity top, which I drilled matching holes. So the marble countertop and tools in an abstract sense have been things that have been reoccurring in your work quite a lot. I know that you and I have spoken about like tools being really important in the sense that they are these clever devices that a previous human helped like invented to help make our, you know, a later labor easier essentially. And they're kind of an interesting way to sort of communicate with the past an invention of sorts. What do the tools in this sculpture represent to you? Well, I like what you said about tools being a way to communicate with the past because (laughs) I like to think about the person who was standing there thinking, well, I have this shovel, which was invented a a few years ago, but it's not really perfect for what I'm trying to do, which is scrape the dirt into a certain pile. I need something more like a hoe. So I, I think it's funny to think about like the problem... The specific problem that led somebody to be like, okay, well, this isn't working. i got to invent something else. I think that's funny. <laughs> and these are also like super ancient, ancient concepts in terms of shoveling and digging. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, yeah, it's gardening. I mean, that was sort of our first big mistake was like, you know, we stopped sort of grazing around the fields and living the hunter-gatherer lifestyle. And we started, we figured we could make more food by growing it. And that was like sort of the first big mistake. Why do you call it a mistake? Well, everything's gone downhill from then. I th- I think it would have been pretty nice to be a hunter-gatherer just kind of frolicking through the fields. Um, it's all been downhill from the, that first decision to, to start growing food, I think. What about the marble countertop has been significant in your work? What do you feel like it's symbolic for? I mean, you know, I don't know that specifically what a marble countertop is is symbolic for. I don't, I don't know that it's specifically symbolic for anything. I mean, for me, I, you know, obviously marble is an art historical material. You know, you think of like the, you know, the ancient Greece, uh, Grecan sculptures, you know, like ancient architecture that was using marble, particularly like the Carrera marble is seems like an art historical material. And I I think it's funny that it's this material that we find in our home, in our bathrooms or in our kitchen, our remodeled kitchens. And just as a material, you know, it's stone. It's going to last forever. And I've what I've always, I guess, what I've always found interesting about it is, you know, thinking about how we make our homes now compared to how they have been made in the past. Maybe, you know, you think about these sort of McMansions or whatever, these thrown together homes that are kind of pumped out across the country. But there in your bathroom is this stone slab that after, you know, thousands of years from now, after the like carpet in your bedroom is rotted, you're, you you will still be able to find the the countertop under the like strata. There are there is this sort of sense of endurance that you're interested in a material, and I feel like you talk about that a lot. And this endurance that lasts longer than the life of a human. Well, for me, I mean, it's I I guess it's more like uh, just being interested in time, and you know, as somebody who makes objects, artworks, like what the effects time will have on. A sculpture. So we were talking earlier about 
the strength piece, the below, the pedestal for that piece is made of copper. Above it, we have the two cylinders of stone. On the one is uh, on the one side is a red stone that sort of matches the copper, and on the other side is a blue, sort of greenish blue aqua colored stone. And what I wanted to do with that piece is, you know, copper over time it tarnishes, and so what I wanted the piece, it, I, I wanted the pedestal to start out the color of the first stone, the red stone. But then over time, as it tarnishes and turns blue, then it would match the second stone, the aqua stone. So I guess that's kind of more the interest in, in time, like a time element to the sculpture. I want to describe two more pieces in this show. One that's titled Before, and this one is, I think, a kind of clever stack piece for you. Because for some of our listeners that know Charles's work, you know that he often stacks materials in these very simple forms. And this one is essentially a stack piece. It's a meteorite stacked on top of a mirror, stacked on top of a black barrel. And the mirror has been is, is broken. So it kind of gives this illusion that the meteorite came out and, and fell onto this mirror and shattered it. What's the significance of this piece for you? Well, that piece in the before position and the card that came up was the Knight of, or I'm sorry, not the Knight, the Page of Cups. And when you're doing a reading, the face cards, what we would, you know, think of as like sort of the King, Queen, and Jack in like a standard deck of playing cards, the tarot has those. And they're kind of the hardest cards to read because they don't have a ton of significance, but they often are said to represent people in the life of the person who's being read for. So I was thinking about who this card could be for in the before, in the before position. What's interesting about this card is the page is holding a cup and it's filled with water. Uh, from, the, uh, from the water is a fish is emerging out from the water, causing the water to ripple. So I got to thinking of it as sort of like, almost like Narcissus, uh, looking down into the water, into the perfect reflection, into the water below, the Caravaggio painting. And, but the idea of that water, that mirror, being shattered or broken up by something from outside. And I think that's kind of what the card sort of is signifies, is, is something from like the subconscious or something from outside disturbing the uh, placid water. And so thinking about it that way, I thought the piece should maybe be like a self-portrait. So in that position, the person that the card represents is me, narcissist, looking into the, into the water. What's more alien? What's more of a disturbance to the placid water than a meteorite? We got to looking for a meteorite. And so, yeah, that was kind of what I was thinking about for that. And so the broken mirror is essentially a disruption of this placid water. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's sort of the water being disturbed or it's the, yeah, the reflection being broken up by an outside force, the meteorite. Do you think of that disturbance as kind of a break between the subconscious and the consciousness? Well, I think traditionally that's how you would think about the card. Yeah, water the cups represent sort of the emotion or subconscious, what's the water being, what's below, 
fish emerging from below would sort of be something from your subconscious or from outside breaking into the consciousness. So then being on the surface. And so you're kind of, I guess, no pun intended, but mirroring that with the idea of kind of your own ego being sort of uh, shattered in some sense. And by talking about narcissists, maybe to me, it's more, I guess I was thinking more about like sort of inspiration. Hmm like an like a a shock of something of inspiration there's another work in the show that also deals a lot with the subconscious and that's the piece titled around and it actually has three components that are each very similar they each have a concrete base also another mirror laid on top of that concrete base and then a crab trap laid on top of that mirror and so there's three of them there's two large ones and then one small one and these represent the judgment card if i'm correct Right. And can you describe a little bit about um, why you chose these objects for that card? Right. So the judgment card, uh, there's an angel, an archangel above blowing a trumpet. And, and below are three figures uh, that have emerged again from the water, sort of like the Page of Cups, emerge from below in, above to the water, and they're floating in sort of their caskets. And they've risen from the dead. Um, and the idea is, I guess, that they are to be judged. For the piece, I had these three crab traps that had belonged to my dad. And I've eaten many blue crabs from these traps over my lifetime. And I just thought they were really beautiful objects. The, the way the wires, the sort, of, uh, the sort of visual effects of the wire as it's layered on top of itself as you, as you walk around it, it, it sort of creates um, a nice, like, sort of visual pattern but also you know i mean what a good sort of stand-in for that idea of of something being drawn up from from the depths for judgment than a crab trap which you leave down at the bottom of the ocean and when you want to have some crabs you go back out to it pull it up and see what you have um see what you can draw up from the depths so uh, it just seemed like a good fit for that piece. This is a bit of a non sequitur, but I, I do want to say that a lot of times I get text messages from friends that send me pictures of objects they see on the side of the road that remind them of your work. Right. You create transcendence in your work in the gallery, but you also create transcendence when people are out in the world and they come across objects that are oriented in a way that reminds them of your work. And it's almost like one can stumble upon a material in the middle of industrial Brooklyn and have a slightly more alone and maybe less mediated experience than a gallery. You know, kind of almost just have a moment where that material is speaking to them. And I think that your work inspires those opportunities. And just the way that you were describing the crab traps reminded me of, you know, a feeling that I would have when I come upon a material. And, and now crab traps won't be the same for me anymore, <laughs> seeing them in Maryland. <laughs> well, I, I get those text messages from friends <laughs> all the time, too. And that's, yeah, that's something I've always been interested in with sculpture is having an artistic experience with something that's not, quote unquote, art and bringing that sort of experience into a gallery setting. And so then, you know, as above, so below, you can take that same experience and take the sort of gallery 
high art experience and yeah, take it out into the field and like sort of strike that balance. Are you interested now that you have done so much research in the tarot in pursuing a practice as a tarot reader? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how good I am at it, but um, I have done a few readings. I've done one for you. You've done more than one for me. <laughs> I've done a couple for you and I'm open to doing tarot readings for people, but I don't know how, how good I am. I think I'm a better sculptor. Let's put it that way. Well, what do you want to make after, now that you've made this body of work, what do you see making next? Well, I had, I really had a lot of fun making this show and, um, you know, like working with the, these cards has been really generative. So for example, I have a show up right now with Darren Fluke in London at his project space Freehouse, And it's a fountain piece, the, but that piece was sort of based on the Ace of Cups card. And so, you know, I, I want to keep sort of working in this vein because it's been a lot of fun and I feel like it, you know, I feel like the works in the show that we did together um, were, I've, I've felt really pleased with them. So I, I'm going to keep sort of working in this vein. I just have one last question. It's something we talk a lot about, press release, and something that you and I have spoken a lot about in this body of work is not so much overemphasizing the tarot, even though we did that quite a bit today, but actually the process of interpretation itself. Right. What about interpretation, interpreting the tarot, inter- interpreting sculpture when you see it in a gallery is important to you? Well, as someone who works a lot with found objects, uh, sort of the quote-unquote ready-made, that's kind of the key, right? I think it's the, it is the artistic act, is, is interpretation, both as an artist and as a viewer. You know, the artist creates something and puts it out in the world, and then it's up to everyone else to interpret it. So it's a nice relationship, that push and pull and give and take. Uh, you know, like with the tarot, it's all about balance. 